If you're visiting with us or you're just new to Rolling Hills, I want to remind you that um, over a year ago, Pastor Bill Town, our lead pastor, uh, let us know that God was leading him to retire. And so he's actually going to retire at the end of this year. And he has been our lead pastor for decades. We dearly, dearly love him and will miss him. But we want to honor what God is doing in his life. And so since he made that announcement, we have been making a lot of preparations and praying and doing a lot of things, getting ready um, and asking God, who does he want to be our new lead pastor? And uh, these people up here this morning are part of the lead pastor search team. Okay. And we want to um, introduce ourselves to you and to give you an update on exactly where things are. So um, Chuck Easterly has been on the elder board for some time. Um, he's one of our elders. Matt Nolan is also a member of the elder board and a, a former chairman of the elders. Uh, Mike Garrison has joined us uh, last year and is serving as one of our elders, and he's an amazing gentleman. Uh, Dick DeRuver is our current uh, chairman of the elder board. Uh, Don Carter is also an elder. He's not with us this morning. He was traveling. And then, of course, there's me. So um, that's the elders that are on this team. Um, there are other lay elders and staff elders that are not on this team. We wanted to keep the team at a reasonable number, but also we, we wanted to include the wisdom of other men and women who are not on staff and who are not elders, but who are deeply committed and involved to this faith family. So that's who these other people are. This is Bethany Hewitt. This is Jared Schmidt. This is Terry Rogers. And many of you know Tara Matson. Uh, and so they are part of the team as well. So Jared, why don't you give us an update? Yes, thanks Rick. Okay, so. As a lot of you already know, we have hired a national search agency called Slingshot Group to help us with our lead pastor search. And they started with about 40 candidates for this particular role, and they narrowed that down to seven highly qualified candidates that they passed along to our team as a committee for us to begin the interview process. And after many hours of interviews and discussions and prayers, we narrowed that down to four. And last week, we finished a second round of in-depth interviews with each of those candidates. And from those four, we will then pass on our recommendation to the entire lay elder board to make the final decision process. There are still several steps to go in this process, and we're going to keep you updated as we go along. But for today, we just wanted to give you a quick snapshot of where we are in this process and that we're still moving forward. There is a website. If you have more questions or just want a refresher on this process, where we're at, where we're headed, and that is rollinghills.org slash LPT. Uh, check it out, lots of good information. And then lastly, we just want to convey that we are so excited for where God is taking us, what we see him doing, and we'd ask that you continue to pray for all of us and the entire church as we just earnestly seek after the Lord to lead us along this path that we're on. Bethany. Good morning. So as Jared said, we really covet your prayers through this process with each step. And what you would have seen on the loop is that on February 11th, in between services, there's going to be a time of prayer in the gathering room, which is if you head out these doors just to the left, there's a gathering room where that will happen in between services on February 11th. So if you want to join in some collective prayer, there's time for that on that date. 
And then I just wanted to also invite you to pray with me right now, if you would. Lord, we just commit this process to you. What an honor it is to be part of your church, um, to invite you into this process, Lord. We just know that you have been at work in Rolling Hills since the beginning. And what an amazing story you have written, Lord. I'm just in awe of what has been done, that outreach to the community, the souls that have been brought into the family of God, Lord. We, it is just incredible. Uh, Pastor Bill's leadership, we're so thankful for him, for his commitment to a good transition. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would bless this process. We ask that you would direct every step, that you would reveal your will clearly. We are excited for what you have ahead, God, and we know as we seek you that you bless that. We're excited for continued discipleship, for continued evangelism, just to see people come to know you and to grow in their faith, God. We are so looking forward to what you have for us. So please bless this process. Be with this team. Be with the staff, the elders. Thank you for their faithfulness. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> <clears throat> By the way, if you go to the, our website, there all of the team members' pictures are there in short bios. I won't uh, guarantee it's fascinating reading, but it's there if you want to go see it. Um, a glitch in the system, which sometimes happens. You, uh, we didn't get uh, to play the loop of all that's going on, but there's so much going on here at Rolling Hills. We have a, a wonderful, uh, we have a youth trip, a missions trip that's coming up. Uh, there's a women's uh, retreat and a men's retreat coming up. If you're interested in any of those things, lots of different opportunities to get involved in a lot of different things. Just uh, check with some of the information booth uh, on your way out this morning and a lot of great information. Um, so if you've been with us over the last couple of Sundays, uh, you'll know that we've uh, been doing a series in January called What We Believe. Um, we were touching on some, a couple of key areas and foundational beliefs that will help us along with our faith journey. And for instance, a couple Sundays ago, Bill talked about um, uh, what we believe about the Bible. And then last Sunday, he talked about what we believe about God. And this Sunday, we are going to talk about what we believe about the end of the world. Yeah, kind of an ominous topic, huh? The end of the world. I mean, some of you may be looking around at the world we're in now and going, you know, we got to be getting close. <laughs> Did you know that there is a doomsday clock? Yeah. A group of scientists back in 1947 created this clock. Among these scientists were Albert Einstein and J. Robert Oppenheimer. And the purpose of this clock is to set a time on just how far away the human race is from total self-annihilation. Yeah. Now back then, of course, they were really concerned about nuclear war. Um, they're still concerned about that. But also on the list is climate change, the escalating war in uh, Ukraine and Israel, and AI, artificial intelligence. That's a, a big concern. Just this last week, the committee, this organization, put 90 seconds on that clock. That's how far away we are in their estimation. In fact, their official statement is this. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists 
it warns that leaders and citizens around the world should take, state, take this statement as a stark warning and respond urgently, as if today were the most dangerous moment in modern history because it may well be. 90 seconds. That's all I have this morning. Thank you. God bless you. See you next week. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe there's a little more to say. <laughs> um, none of us know when Jesus is going to come back. Okay. But Jesus um, did give us a lot of signs that are precursors to the end of the world. And so let's take a, a look at some of those this morning. Um, there are two large sections in the scripture, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, that give us a lot of details of what these events look like and, uh, before the end of the world comes. And let's take a look at a couple of these. Um, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes. He tells us false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And the elect in this context refers to the very people of God. There's more. And Luke, says, there will be pestilence and terrors and great signs from the heavens among the moon and the stars. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Wow. Well, that's a lot. And when we read these statements, these signs, um, it could easily leave us feeling a little concerned about the future and what's in store for us. And being, uh, living now in this fallen, broken world of ours where every horrible event is brought right into our homes via the news, um, it's no wonder that some of us can begin to feel very catastrophically about our personal lives and our future and the planet we live on. But should we? Is that really the mindset that God wants his children to have as we face the future. See, I, I, I don't think so. You know what's interesting? <clears throat> In all those sections, Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, those whole long chapters, we don't have time to go through everything. But if you read all those, everything in both those chapters, you will notice that not one time does Jesus say, wow, you guys, this is going to be bad. You really... You need to be afraid. Yeah, you need to be worried about this. Actually, he says just the opposite. When he talks about the wars and the rumors of wars, in verse 24, 6, he says, see to it that you're not alarmed. These things must happen, and then the end will come. See to it you are not alarmed. When he talks about these coming persecutions, handed over, being put to death, all that, he says, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Not to worry. That's his message. 
don't be alarmed and don't worry. I will give you all the words and the wisdom you need when you're hauled before those that persecute you. In other words, I will be with you. When he talks about um, these false teachers, they're gonna come and work all these crazy miracles and, and deceive everybody. He says, he warns them of them. And then he says, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. I want you to know they're coming. And then he throws in this little statement that's really amazing. Jesus does this a lot. He says these little things with these huge meanings. Right in the middle of all this, he says, see, I have told you ahead of time. See, I've told you ahead of time. When you tell somebody something ahead of time, it's so that what is getting ready to happen will not catch them by surprise. They'll be informed and aware. And they'll be as prepared as possible. That's why you tell somebody something ahead of time. So Jesus was telling his disciples and us, the scriptures, hey, you need to know that these things are coming. Okay? But don't be afraid and don't worry. I'm going to be with you. And when he says, I am telling you this ahead of time, he's basically communicating, guess what? I know everything that's going to happen and I'm in control and I'll be with you. Now, it's, it's fair to mention that these signs and things that Jesus lists, a lot of these things have been going on for centuries, okay? And we have every reason to believe that as the time gets closer to when the Lord's going to come back, that, that these will multiply and grow in their intensity. But we need to really listen to the words of Jesus when he says, don't be deceived, don't be afraid, and don't worry. We need to take that to heart. He wants us to be aware of these things, but he doesn't want us to focus on them. See, what was Jesus' focus? Many more, much, much more of all of his messaging had to do with the kingdom of heaven. Not so much these things will happen before the end of the world, but they had more to do with what's going to happen after the end of the world. Life eternal. That was his gospel message. That's what he was passionate about. And that's what he told the church to be passionate about. Okay, I'm kind of a chart guy. So let's put that chart up here real quick. Um, this chart shows what starts with Jesus' death and his resurrection. Okay. And we learned last week, Bill mentioned about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, about when Jesus, after he was crucified dead, he was raised from the dead. He appeared to all of his disciples and then to as many as 500 other people. Many of them were alive at the time of the, of the writing in Corinthians. So a lot of eyewitnesses. And they were, as you can imagine, incredibly excited. And... At this time, in Matthew chapter 28, we see where Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, he gives them what we call the Great Commission, where he says, go into all the world and spread the gospel message and make disciples. And I am with you even to the end of the age. That was the message. And so the church was born and the message began to spread. And from that day to this day, it continues to spread throughout all the world. 
That was his focus. The good news of the gospel. So what should my focus be? Should it be focusing on the bad news of some of these events that will happen toward the end times? Or should I be focused on the good news of the message of the gospel and the kingdom? I know you know this. The word gospel means good news, okay? And the gospel is really, really, really good news. And it's worth us just taking a quick review of it. I know many of you know this, but if there's even one person that happens to be joining us this morning online or sitting out here that's a little fuzzy on it, we need to repeat it. We need to make it really, really clear. It's really important. And the essence of the gospel is just this, that we are all sinners. We're all broken in the sense that we have this bent and this tendency towards selfishness and all the things that selfishness produces in our life, okay? All of us are sinful, and many scriptures tell us that. These are just a couple. 320, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. And it tells us because of the sinfulness that we all, every one of us have, uh, we are separated from God because a penalty or what we've earned from this sinful nature that we have is a separation from God. Death, a spiritual death. And that makes total sense because God in his very nature is holy and pure and without any sin and we are sinful. So, Perfection and imperfection are mutually exclusive. They can't come together. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ did something about that. He came as God's son to this earth for us, taught us about the kingdom of heaven, and taught us, uh, and then went to the cross and took all our sins, past, present, and future, on himself. Died for those sins. And in exchange for all of us that trust in that, he declared us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 does a great job of explaining this when it says that God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to become sin. Why? On our behalf. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. It was the greatest act of self-sacrifice, uh, the greatest transaction that ever took place, self-sacrificing transaction. It was that Jesus, a holy and pure God and innocent, was willing to come on our behalf and take your sins and my sins, past, present, and future, take those, the penalty for those was death, and he was willing to take that penalty for us and die. And then when he died, he was resurrected. And for all those put our faith in it again, he then declares us righteous. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see my sin or my brokenness, my selfishness and all the things I do every day wrong. He doesn't see that anymore because those are my sins that Jesus took away, that he forgave. Now he looks at me and he only sees the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, I'm compatible now. Now I can experience God in a very personal, intimate way because my sin is gone and washed away. That was the message and the essence of the gospel. And what's even amazing about it was even the, the cap on the whole message was that because of this, we have inherited and been given the gift of eternal life. And that was the message 
that needs to be spread throughout the whole world. It was then and it is now. Christ forgives our sins. We're forgiven. God has given us the gift of eternal life. Now, there's um, a lot of scriptures that talk about eternal life. Uh, by the way, I want to I want to back up and say that this message, this message of the gospel is really connected to the end of the world. Jesus tells us, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So it's that important, this message of the gospel. And the gift of eternal life that we have, he wants the whole world to know that this is available to them, and then the end will come. So many scriptures about eternal life. Um, again, don't have slides for all these, but I'll just mention a few. Um, in John, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and no one will take them out of my hand. No one. In John 3, 16, a favorite verse of a lot of ours is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, what? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The apostle John wrote to the followers of Jesus in 1 John chapter 5, and he says, these things I'm writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know not think that or hope, but in order that you might know you have eternal life. And I love the fact that this, this eternal life that God has given us is referred to as a gift. A lot of verses talk about the gift of eternal life. A favorite verse is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Nothing we can do to get this or earn this gift. It is, it, a gift is free. A gift of God to us. So the problem is, see that God gives us this amazing gift when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And we take this gift and we go, oh, this is an amazing gift. Thank you very much. Oh, but this world, man, is killing me. Man, I gotta get, I gotta, my job is a pain. I don't know what to do. I've got all these issues and problems. I'm really concerned. Oh, yeah, this gift of eternal life. Thank you, this is great. Thank you so much. Man, why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get the, into the school I wanna get? Why is my boyfriend breaking up with me? Why, you know, what am, what am I gonna do about all this stuff? Oh, yeah, the gift, thank you, yes. It's good, thank you, yeah, thank you so much. It's really good. What are they teaching my kids in school these days? What am I gonna do about that? You know, I wanna retire. I gotta get this business going. I gotta work harder. I wanna retire so I have time to, to, to enjoy it. I got a family member dying of cancer. What? Man, there's just no hope there. Yes, the gift, okay, I got it. The gift of eternal life, thank you. What does this have to do with all of this? And God is saying, just open the box. <laughs> Look inside. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 
everything. Everything, everything about my life is temporary. Not unimportant, but temporary. And it changes my perspective. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and all its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into this city or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business, and we'll make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Speaking not to the value of our lives, but to the brevity of them. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. When I gaze into the gift of eternal life, the concerns, the trials, even the goals of this world take on a different perspective. And it's why Jesus could tell his disciples in the midst of all this persecution that may come, don't be afraid. Make your mind up not to worry. It's temporary. And I'm going to be with you. Because after that, eternal life. It's been said how you view the end of the world and eternity has a profound effect on the way that you live today. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote from him when he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So I thought we would take a moment to open up this box and look into this gift of eternal life and remind ourselves of what all it means. John in Revelation tells us, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the end for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he says, write down these words for these words are true and trustworthy. So a quick summary then of all that he just told us is with this gift of eternal life, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. God himself will live with us. There'll be no more death, no more pain, no more sadness or crying, and everything's gonna be made new. So this new earth, okay, it, it is nice and beautiful as this present earth is, it won't even be able to be compared to the new earth. We don't know exactly what it'll be like, but no more thorns and thistles, no more crazy climate change with tornadoes and volcanoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and all that destruction that they cause. N none of that. It'll be new and everything will be in order. New heaven and a new earth. God himself will be with us. Right now, the scripture tells us that as believers, that God is present with us by his Holy Spirit that indwells each one of us. But in the, the new kingdom, there'll be a whole new experience with God, a whole new presence of God that we will enjoy as we, God dwells with us. I love the fact that it says that God himself will wipe away every tear. Not an angel, archangel, but God himself will wipe away every tear. There's a presence of God that we will get to experience that we have no concept of. There'll be no more death, no more pain, no longer will there be sadness or crying. Everything's made new. So here's an exercise for you. Just allow yourself to meditate on one of those concepts. Let's just take no more pain. Think about that. Physical pain. I mean, there's, there's always something that's hurting on me. <laughs> but all the, the pain that we feel physically when we hurt ourselves, when we're growing old, or blown out, ACLs, sports people, all the, all the things that cause us pain, the pain of disease, cancer, how it racks our bodies the weakness and the pain of a physical pain. Now think of emotional pain. The pain of depression. The pain of losing a loved one. The emotional pain of being rejected, being hurt. Think of all the various different kinds of pain that we can endure and have. The sorrow deep sorrow, losing something we care about. Now, the scripture tells us that God is a very present help in trouble. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of God and receive grace and mercy and help in time of need. So we can, we can pray. We can pray and ask God to come into the situations with us and help us with them. Help us deal with them. And then you can say to yourself with 100% authority on what the scripture tells us, 
we should say to ourselves, one day, perhaps sooner than later, I will never have to feel this way again. Not for the rest of all eternity. It's temporary. That's a great exercise to go through as we focus into what eternal life is really all about. Um, I, I don't remember if I've shared this with you before, but um, years ago, and I was uh, uh, on staff as a pastor in East Texas, um, I had a good friend, Dr. Narr, whose office was just uh, across from our parking lot on the other side of the street. And one day I was having a particularly bad day, um, struggling with a lot of things, and uh, out of the blue, he calls. And he uh, says, hey, Rick, you got a second? Yeah, I got somebody I want you to meet. So I go over to his office and I walk in the back door and he introduces me to a patient of his. And I walk in there and here is this older lady, grandmother kind of lady, sitting in a wheelchair. I mean, I can see her face as plain as day. Big old glasses, but tiny little frail woman. And her hands were all gnarled up. And I could see her ankles were all swollen and twisted. And her entire body was racked with rheumatoid arthritis. She looked up at me. Isn't God good? Hasn't he blessed us? Look at all the blessings God has given to us. I am so, so grateful. I can't wait to be with him. Dr. Nars said, Rick, there is not a moment of any day that she's not in pain. What a change in perspective this woman had and gave to me that day. Again, I'm <clears throat> a visual person. Let's look at this chart again. So I want to throw this chart up here. Uh, we don't have time to talk about all of those wonderful things that are going to happen as we approach the kingdom of heaven, right? But I put them up here for this reason. Everything associated with these events kind of has a time associated with it, okay? There's this church age we have, and then there's this wonderful event called the rapture of the church that's going to happen. We'll talk about that briefly here in a minute, but that happens, and that's kind of a twinkling of an eye moment. And then there's this seven-year tribulation. A lot of the things that was in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 21, a lot of those events are going to be happening during this seven-year tribulation. Some are specific to Israel and some are for all of us. But that's seven years, three and a half, three and a half, very specific as told to us in Daniel and in Revelations. Then we have the second coming of Christ that he comes down and defeats his enemies. And then he establishes this wonderful period called the millennial period which is a, a thousand year reign. It's got a definite time associated with it. Now a thousand years is, is a long time, but still it has a, it has a certain beginning and ending. 
And that thousand years is when Christ comes down, he defeats his enemies, and he sets up this beautiful reign where it's going to be a really wonderful time where Christ is the, the perfect dictator. He comes and he rules on this earth. Not the new earth, but this earth. He's ruling now. And it's a wonderful time period. Then that's over. That, that ends. And then there's uh, a couple other events that happen here. The only thing that doesn't have a specific time associated with it is the eternal state. The eternal life that we have been given. There's no time limit. It goes on and on and on and on. What a gift that Christ has given us. What a gift to focus on, to give us perspective as we live in these troubled times. Okay, there, there, there's one other thing I want to add to this wonderful gift. Um, during the time that Jesus uh, uh, was resurrected and presented himself to everybody, and then he was ascended to heaven and the church began to grow, um, People were very excited, as you can well imagine, very excited at the promise of Jesus and the promise of his return and all that he would bring with him when he came. Um, but they begin to get worried about, well, wait, I've, lo I've lost some loved ones. Uh, I, I love them. I, I, um, are they going to miss out? And so Paul writes to them to give them some really good news. And he says in Thessalonians, he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Not that you don't grieve. I mean, grief is a part of life. Grief is necessary. It's fine to grieve. But there's a difference in grieving and grieving without hope. And we have hope. I've lost people. And so have many of you. Both my parents are gone. My dad died suddenly when he was only 52. I lost friends right out of high school. I dearly miss them. I can't wait to see them again. My hope is that I get to see them again. And that's exactly the good news that Paul tells them about when he says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first my mom and dad, my friends, my loved ones, yours, will rise first. Then we who are alive, if we're still alive by then, um, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged. So along with a new heaven and a new earth, and experience a whole new presence of God, along with no more pain, no more sorrow, 
you know, no more sadness, no more crying, no more tears. Along with all of that, we get to experience this wonderful eternal state with those that we love most, with our loved ones. What a gift. Actually, I'm not sure I want to see Uncle Harry again. That guy is, I don't have an Uncle Harry. I'm just kidding you. So, but if I did have an Uncle Harry, I, I may want to see him. So. But what a gift. What a wonderful thing to open the box and look inside and, and realize and believe. Okay. So the final thought I want to leave us with this morning as we wind up is this. Having an eternal perspective on life brings really into sharp focus the temporariness and the state of our lives and the world that we live in. You know, the scripture says this world's passing away. Everything about it is passing away. Our life is here for a moment and then it's gone. And that should cause us to think soberly about the way we live our lives and how we invest our time and our energy. Jesus tells us plainly, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we store up treasures in heaven, Okay, it's, it's when we are concerned about the same things God's concerned with. It's when we think, love, and live like Jesus. It's when we're investing our time and talents on the very things that God considers important. Not that anything in this world, all the things we do, our job, our careers, those are all important. It's a matter of emphasis. We're to consider the things of God more important. And it's different for everybody. I mean, you may walk across the street and mow your neighbor's grass because they're sick and can't do it and therefore demonstrate the love of God. And that's storing up a treasure for you. Just as much as me preparing a sermon for Sunday morning. God has one thing for you to do and he has something else for me to do. We're all storing up treasures in heaven. I'm asking God every day, Lord, I don't know how many more days you have for me on this planet? Just let me know what you really want me to be about. Let me know what you want me to invest my time and talents and energy into while I'm living my life. The problem is, is that if we get too focused on this world, the good things in this world, the opportunities that God gives us, the things that he's called us to do, but if we get too focused on just this world as if it's the only thing around and will always be here, we become very selfish and it be, everything becomes about us and we only invest our time and talents in things that will only benefit us in some way. That's the danger. Jesus told a parable about somebody like this and he called him the rich fool. He tells this parable and he says, here's this, this rich man who had all this wealth, much more than he needed, okay? And, he, and then he had a big, huge harvest, a big crop. And he came in and he sat one night and he was thinking, you know what, I, I think I'll tear down my old barns. I need to build some bigger barns where I can store all this stuff so I can take care of my future, build my business, you know, 
more, more, more. And this is what the scripture says. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all that you prepare for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. None of us know how long we have on this planet. Jesus warns us, think eternally, okay? Make sure you're storing up treasures in heaven and not just here on earth. None of us, none of us knows when Jesus is coming back. The scripture's plain. It says, but about that hour, day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Some of us may actually be alive to see Jesus come again. Some of us may exit this life much, much sooner. The idea is to be prepared for if tomorrow comes and be just as prepared for if tomorrow doesn't come. For the child of God, we do not have to face the future with fear. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Have an eternal perspective on things. That's what will give us balance and hope in life. There is no doomsday for the child of God. What there is, what there is, is eternal, everlasting life. And that's what we can focus on. And all God's children said, Amen. 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 Thank you. Oh, let's close in prayer. And as I pray this morning, I, if you're here and the whole gospel message, the good news of your sins being forgiven and a promise of eternal life is something that has become clear for you. All you need do is say a prayer and tell Jesus, I recognize who you are. I thank you for dying for my sins. I'm trusting that and I'm trusting that you're giving me your righteousness and I will receive the promised eternal kingdom, everlasting life. And I want to just say a prayer for you. It's not so important the exact words we use. If it's the matter of your heart and the intent of your heart, just kind of pray along with me. And then you can be a, a part of everything we talked about, this wonderful, eternal, everlasting life. Okay. So I'm going to pray for that. Let's, let's pray together. So if that's your heart this morning, um, you can simply say, Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And I thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross, that you took my sins upon you, and you died for them, and you have forgiven me of all my sins. I want to acknowledge that and put my trust in that right now. I want to accept you as my God and Savior and ask you to just come into my life, show me how you want me to live and think, and help me to have an eternal perspective. And thank you for giving me the promise of eternal life. Father God, <clears throat> for the rest of us, I just pray that for all of us, 
uh, you would help us to continue to have an eternal perspective on the life that we're living here. So easy for us to get uh, our sights off of you and off of eternity and down to this very temporal world we live in. Help us with that, Father God. Thank you for your amazing gift. Thank you for what you teach us and what you've given us. Bless us, Father God, as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you happen to be <clears throat> a person that has accepted Christ for the first time uh, this morning, we'd really love to know about that. And in fact, if you, if you didn't, but you want to know more, you have some honest questions about it, we'd love to know that. We'd love to answer any questions you have uh, wherever you are <clears throat> in your faith journey. So there's a, uh, several stations outside, and, uh, new here, begin here, next steps is a station out there. Just go up there and just tell them you want some more information or tell them what you did to, if you accepted Christ. Tell them that you're a new believer. And uh, we'd love to know about that. We'd love to help you along the way in any way that we can. All right, let's uh, continue our worship.